Well, we are concluding our sermon series on unity in diversity. And uh, I hope that it has helped you think about both unity and diversity in our church. Uh, even in times where you have to look at a preacher through a face shield and I have to look at you through masks. How do we love one another really well as we walk through these things, as we have to register for church and sit apart? And so today we're going to be talking about what is a church covenant. Promises, promises, promises. We, we all know what it's like, right, to make promises we're not able to keep or make promises we don't intend to keep. Or, you know, even more imperceptible to us is that one person who always keeps their word to us, right? They, they always do what they say they're going to do. We, we almost don't even, we don't even recognize how un, in order, unordinary that is. How out of the ordinary it is for someone to always keep their word, right? And why is that? Because we expect it, right? We expect it of other people. If you're going to say you're going to do something, then do it. And while we expect that of others, we don't always expect it of ourselves. No amens on that one. I know. I'm the same way. And on one level, you know, keeping promises is what the Bible is all about. Making and keeping promises is one way to read the Bible, and as a Christian, we want to be Bible people. We want to follow the words of our Lord and, and be like him, don't we? There is nothing more like him than making and keeping promises. And I want to end our series on unity and diversity with a sermon on church covenant, church promise making and keeping. And this is the most, normally we as a people take a book of the Bible and work through it sequentially. And so next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll be back in the book of Mark, work, work through it till the end of it. But this is the most topical I'm going to be, maybe in my whole time as pastor here, I, I hope. But I thought it'd be useful for us to see how unity and diversity actually works out in our membership. And formalize that a little bit. Like what... What does it mean to be uh, diverse in our unity or unified in our diversity? Well, I think the Bible works that out for us. And I just want to take a trace through what it means, uh, or what, a, what a covenant is, what a church covenant is. So starting with what, what is a covenant, and then we're going we're gonna to trace it on down and look at what a church covenant is uh, through the covenant of marriage what the new covenant is in John 13, and then the content of that new covenant, okay? So very topical, a little bit all around, but especially out of John 13 is where we want to focus our time. A church covenant is a document that takes our beliefs and puts them into practice. How many of you have ever signed a church covenant? How many of you have ever heard of a church covenant? Okay, more of you, okay. Maybe like five to ten of you. Okay, good. So that's good. So uh, a, ch a church covenant is a document that takes our beliefs and puts them into practice. How many of you have ever heard of a confession of faith or a statement of faith? Yeah, almost, almost all of you. Most churches actually have a statement of faith. Our church has a statement of faith. And it's, it's, it's based on uh, the Baptist uh, Faith and Message 2000, which... 
I'm pretty sure from a secondary source that is based on the New Hampshire Confession of Faith, 1833. Nobody cares, but it's interesting to me. So the church covenant is actually, you know, the confession of faith is a doctrinal and theological document. The church covenant is an ethical and practical document. I made a big mistake by not starting my timer. That's more for your sake than mine. So I'm going to start it now. And I've been going for what, like a minute, probably? (laughs) More than that? Okay. So confession of faith is a doctrinal theological statement. The church covenant is an ethical and practical document. Um, it is based on a covenantal is based on the covenantal structure of the Bible. So, what is a church covenant, or what is a covenant in general? So, we're going to trace that through a little bit. A covenant, uh, one author said, is a covenant is the normative way God interacts with His people. A covenant is the normative way God interacts with His people. He structures His relationships on boundaries and parameters. You know, most simply, the the covenant of the Bible is this. It kind of encompasses all of them. I will be your God. You will be my people. And the Bible sort of traces that out all through Scripture about the terms and what that means and what the obligations and rewards and responsibilities are. This, the covenants, you know, this, this covenant that I will be your God and you'll be my people was the relationship God set up with Adam and Eve. The creator made all things. Do you remember this from, you know, the beginning of the Bible? If you're not a Christian, this is what Christians believe. God made everything, and he created people, the first two human beings, Adam and Eve, to be the crown of his creation. He set up uh, an authority structure He's breathing life into mankind and crowning him as the, the, the crown of his creation. In so doing, he establishes a structure of authority. God owns everything and rules everything. He sets up Adam as his vice regent, who in benevolent love, like his creator, was to rule over everything else. Under God's authority. Adam and Eve being co-regents were to rule by populating the earth, by caring and tending for the earth as God's temple. And all of this was in the realm of these, this promise and obligation, this covenant. So the king established covenant love, this loving rule over his creation, and the creation was supposed to flourish under this divine rule by loving obedience to him. The king says, I will protect, provide for you, and here's what I expect in return. Obedience. Do not eat of the tree. Uh, a definition of what a covenant is in his book, Biblical Theology for the Life of the Church, Michael Lawrence says, uh, a covenant, covenant are not merely contracts or promises. Rather, covenants are relationships under authority with both obligations and rewards. Covenants are relationships under authority with both obligations and rewards. So as you trace the covenants through the Bible, you see God sovereignly administering these covenants in the life of his chosen people. He entered into relationship with Noah, Abraham, He entered a relationship with Israel through the Mosaic and Davidic covenants and through the church with the new covenant. 
His new covenant people, God enters a relationship. In each of these covenants, he sets the terms based on his own authority. You know, what's interesting about this, though, is that he obligates himself to his people by binding himself to the covenant. Every time his people break the terms of the covenant in some way, he fulfills the terms himself. The Abrahamic covenant, for instance, you can turn to Genesis 15 or you can just listen. When God sets the terms of the covenant, he binds himself. Abraham uh, was given a covenant call by God in Genesis 15, and he sets the sort of the parameters of it by giving him the terms. And listen as I read. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord, O Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. And if you're able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And he, the Lord, counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these but, and cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nations that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, Behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying to your offspring, I give this land, every bit of it, from the river Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Canaan, Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. This is God's word. The terms of the covenant were made by God and met by God. In the ancient world, what you read, if you were paying attention, 
probably sounds odd to us. There's animals, and they're cut, and they're laid, and they're walked between. But in the ancient world, this was a normal process of making a covenant. It was actually called, the name for the covenant was to cut a covenant. When, when you were having a covenant, uh, making a promise with another party, uh, you were to bring animals, cut them in two, and then you together, the parties of the covenant, would walk through the middle of them. What, that seems strange to us, but th- th- what they were saying, uh, both parties were saying was, I will make a promise to you, and you make a promise to me. In the terms of the covenant. And if I break my promise to you, I will become like these dead animals. May the judgment fall on me. Now, I believe God put Abraham to sleep. So he was incapable of, of, of joining hands and walking through the animals. Which was to say, I bind myself to this covenant. He's asleep. God, in the, in the form of, of the cloud, in the form of the fire, with smoldering pot, walks through the animals himself. Did you notice that? He was, he was, he was saying something. He was saying that if either side f- failed to fulfill their obligations, that he would be the one to take the punishment on himself. He would become like the dead animals. We know that Abraham is God's chosen man, Israel as God's chosen nation, and, and even David as God's chosen king, and the church as God's chosen new covenant people have all failed to fulfill their covenant obligations. Therefore, what will happen? God himself will have to fulfill the obligations of the covenant. He became like a lamb the slaughterhouse and fulfilled the covenant obligations by receiving punishment, the wrath of God in our place. Jesus became the covenant fulfillment. And this is the archetype of the church covenant. And he, that is Jesus, God, is the archetype of the covenant-keeping husband. In church membership, the obligations that we are entering into are real obligations, and we are met to meet them. Now, if you come to the, on, on October 18th, you come to the church membership class, there will be no cutting of animals or walking in between them. Uh, we won't even make you give blood. Uh, you, you're not signing up for anything. This is a voluntary association. But what we are saying through a church covenant is that we're taking this thing seriously. We're living in intentionality with each other. Our membership means something. It, it matters. So whether we have a document or not, this is what it means to be a part of God's people. And it's based in the old covenant language of the Old Testament. As God met both his obligation and Abraham's in the covenant, so it is with the new covenant. He patterned the new after the old. Or maybe it's better to say the old is a picture of the new. Hebrews 8 talks about this new covenant and Jesus being the better high priest of the new covenant. He says, for he finds fault with them when he says, behold, 
The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenants that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put, here it is, new covenant, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. God is doing something special in this new covenant, and it is the pattern for what our covenant life together as church members. It's something like the covenant of marriage, this is meant to be illustrative of what our life together is supposed to look like. A church covenant, then, is an attempt to work out what the new covenant relationship looks like among God's people. We mean to formalize the relationship. That is to say, like a couple in love, they would give themselves to each other no matter if there was a a formal ceremony or not. They love each other. They'll give their lives to each other. In church membership, we're, what we're saying is we, we are committing together to give our lives away to one another, to love one another, and pro- propagate the gospel on the earth. And we can do that without signing a covenant or not, but what a church covenant does is it reminds us of those. It reminds us of all those one another passages that tell us how we're supposed to interact with each other. Do you remember your marriage vows if you're married? Or you remember hearing them if you've been to a wedding? I, Owen Douglas Payne, take Bridget Ann Walansky to be my wedded wife. Yes, her last name is Polish. To have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish Till death do us part according to God's holy ordinance, and hereto I pledge thee my loyal love. This is a covenant. These are the terms and promises and and pledges between two parties under the authority of God and his church. A couple comes and promises that they will love one another no matter what until they die. The divorce rate in our country does not reflect the seriousness of this covenant. The divorce rate in churches does not reflect the seriousness of this covenant. And yet, this covenant, the marriage covenant, puts God, his covenant, with his people on display. Right? God means to fulfill his vow to the very end. And he means to empower you to preserve you to the end. That means joining in with the church, covenanting together to love and serve one another. So what does this all look like in the new covenant? Well, I think Jesus lays out the terms in John 13. There are a lot, I'll get to this later, there are lots of one another passages in the New Testament, especially in the epistles. And this is sort of the first one in the gospel of John. 
he sets out the terms of the new covenant with his disciples for when after he leaves. It's the... The context of this, it's the Passover meal. It's this last supper that that Jesus is instituting. He's instituting the Lord's table. And as his disciples eat their last Passover meal with him, Jesus, the Passover lamb, will give his life in just a few days. But before all of this, before he goes, before he gets tried, betrayed by Judas and tried and crucified and buried, Jesus does something shocking. You can see it in chapter 13. He gets up, he puts a towel around himself, maybe his outer garment around his waist, and he takes the position of a slave. He does something none of them would have done for each other. To take a towel and bend down and wash someone else's feet was one of the lowest things a slave had to do. That's what he does. He begins to wash his disciples' feet. It's worth a reminder that kings and messiahs do not wash other people's feet. But Jesus, he takes the job on himself. To, to wash dirt off someone's feet was to be the lowest of the slaves. Jewish slaves said, I won't do that. Give it to the Gentiles. To wash dirt off someone's feet was to be lower than dirt in the eyes of your master. And Jesus said, I will do it. He serves his disciples by washing their feet. And Peter says, no, you will not wash my feet. You are not my slave. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. What Jesus was saying was, was this foot washing was, was just a picture of what he'll do in the cross. He'll, he'll give himself up as a ransom for many. He'll become a servant, and he will serve the, 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 the people who deserve death, and, and he will take it for them. He will take on the dirtiness. He will take on the slave work. The foot washing is a precursor of the cross. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part with me. If I don't take away your sin, you have no part with me. And Peter says, well, don't wash all of, I mean, don't wash just my feet, wash all of me. And Jesus says, no, you don't, you don't need me to do that. You just need to listen to me. Let me wash your feet. This is, Jesus is putting on, as he puts on slave clothes, he's putting on the new covenant ethic. He's putting it on display. And he tells them, after he does this, love one another. By becoming a servant. Love one another as I have loved you. If you want to be the greatest, you must become the least. And the context of the new, the content of this new covenant is wrapped up in Jesus' words and flushed out in the epistles. We already read from Hebrews how God established the terms. He would put his law in our hearts and God has brought his people out of slavery once again, just reflecting what he did with Israel. He, or Israel was actually a picture of what he was going to do with his people, bring them out of slavery, set them on the other side, and once he rescued them, once he made them his people, then he would give them laws. Then he would give them ways that they were supposed to live with one another. He would give them an ethic. And he brought us through the sea of wrath and death and placed us on the other side, 
of our enemy. With our enemy destroyed, then he says to his disciples and to us, love one another. Not in order to be rescued, but because we are rescued. So having prefigured the cross and washing their feet, he tells them that he's done everything necessary for their rescue. Because of this truth, he calls them to keep the terms of this covenant. Love one another. That unity and diversity summed up right here. Love one another. That's it. The command itself is not new. But did you notice how he ramped it up? The way they are supposed to love one another is unparalleled in its magnitude. He says, love as I have loved you. Like washing someone's feet. Love like that. Give up your life. Lay it down. This love has content. It's not merely feelings, right? You learn this in... Uh, premarital counseling. Love is not just, you're going, you can fall in and out of love if you define it like that. It's not just this feeling. It's not just words. You don't get to define what love is, friends. God defined what it is. It has specific content. Love is a self-giving, sacrificial love that is not based in the worthiness of the recipient, but in the glory of God. It's a self-giving, sacrificial love that is not based in the worthiness of the recipient, but in the glory of God. And Jesus says, love that way. Love that way. Love like I've loved you. I gave my life for you. I became a slave on your behalf. I took the wrath of God for you. As I bend down and wash your feet, love like that. Branch. Jesus is calling us to love like that. Especially people, members of this church, love one another like that. And that love will spread outward to others. And Jesus said, if you do, other people are going to take notice of your love for one another. And they're going to say, that looks like Jesus' love. That doesn't look like my love. Church covenant is calling us to express that love, that I'll promise to do that love through thick and thin, through sickness and in health, till death do us part. Now, you can leave this church before you die. Okay, I don't want to get uh, You can leave the church before you die. It's a voluntary association, and you can move on. And, and yet you're submitting to each other in terms of discipline and discipleship. So the terms of this new covenant were, uh, they were worked out in the New Testament epistles. All the New Testament epistles that were written to New Testament churches like ours. Smaller groups of local churches that were committed together to hearing the word, to taking the sacraments, and to loving one another and the community. And this week I typed out 48, 47 one another verses. All, all in the New Testament epistles and gospels. Those verses in the New Testament tell the church members how they are supposed to treat one another. And 17 of those verses have to do with love. So I'm just going to read the one another verses that mention love in them. And I, I just want you to think in your life, in this church life, 
if we have been living like this or how we can live like this better. John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Romans 12, 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. I have all of these printed out, um, and I can make copies for you if you'd like them. So you, feel free to turn there if you'd like, but you can also just listen, and I can print that out if you'd like. Romans 13, 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Galatians 5.13, for you were called the freedom brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Ephesians 4.2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, bear with one another in love. 1 Thessalonians 3.12 And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. 1 Thessalonians 4.9 Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Hebrews 10.24 and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. How to provoke one another, the King James says. How to encourage one another to love and good works. He goes on later to say, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together because this is the way you do it. You meet together and you stir one another up to love one another and others and do good works. 1 Peter 1.22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. 1 John 3.11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 1 John 3.23, and this is the commandment. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. 1 John 4, 7, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 1 John 4, 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we, also, we ought also to love one another 1 John 4, 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Last one. 2 John 5. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we had from the beginning, that we love one another. Remember, love has content, friends. It is a self-giving, sacrificial love that is not based in the worthiness of the recipient, but in the glory of God. And we don't love because people deserve it. 
We love because God is love and He has first loved us. So what are the ways that uh, this works out in the New Testament? Uh, Baptist churches have had church covenants for a very long time. Almost as soon as there were Baptist churches in England, they had a covenant, a way to intentionally try to live life together. The covenant of the Great Ellingham Baptist Church in Norwalk, England, written in 1699, refers directly to to this. It says, We likewise find in holy writ that an explicit covenanting with and giving up ourselves to the Lord and to one another is the formal cause of particular visible as a formal cause of particular visible gospel church. We likewise desire to be added to the Lord. Do make a sure covenant according to the example of the church in Nehemiah's time who made a sure covenant and wrote it. So this, I just, I'm only reading that to let you know that this isn't a, this actually isn't a new thing. 1699. And, and maybe some of the reasons we've gotten away from thinking about a formal church covenant and document is because we've gotten away from um, just thinking about how we're supposed to interact with one another. Maybe we, we just think about being the church as coming to church and then living our life separately. Coming to church on Sunday and then, and then not living life together. John Newton Brown, the man who drew up the New Hampshire Confession of Faith, wrote this church covenant. And I'm going to end with this. And I'm, I'm, it's, it's reworked a little bit for modern language. But here is what covenanting people look like. Okay, Here, here's what covenanting people, here's what it would look like to covenant together, to promise together, to love one another uh, the way the scriptures teach us. To having been led, as we believe, by the Spirit of God, to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and on the profession of our faith, relying on his gracious aid, most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ. What does it look like to promise together to live like God's new covenant people? We will work to apply the gospel to every area of life. This is a, a, a biblical world and life view. We will work to make disciples who love God with all their hearts and their neighbors as themselves. So they are equipped to do the work of the ministry. We will work and pray to guard the spirit-given unity and the bond of peace. That's Ephesians 4. We will endeavor to watch over one another in brotherly love. What does it look like to covenant together, to promise together like God has done for us? Watch over one another in brotherly love. Admonish one another faithfully lest we become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And to consider how to encourage one another to love and good works, how to stir each other up to love and good works. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, nor neglect to pray for one another. We will rejoice at one another's happiness and endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrow. We will be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the rules of our Savior to secure it without delay. Covenanting people bear with one another, are happy, and cry with one another. When someone is offended, we go to one another, ready for reconciliation. And to secure it like Jesus taught us to. 
we will endeavor to bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and to seek the salvation of our family and friends by pure lives and loving witness. We will endeavor to walk soberly, righteously, and godly in this world, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. For we remember that we have been raised to walk in the newness of life. We'll walk together. We'll work together for the advancement of the gospel, of this gospel church as we sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines. We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, the spread of the gospel through the nations. And we will, when we move from this place, as soon as possible, unite with churches where we can carry out the articles of this confession and the principles of the word of God. Now, I'm not saying we have to use the words of this church. I'm just, this is an example of, of what churches have tried to do through the ages to promise to one another they were going to live out the principles of meaningful membership. And I think the Lord would be pleased for us to take our responsibilities to one another more seriously. Are there problems in this church? Maybe there's some that I don't know about. I think there's a pretty good unity in this church. And, and, I, and I think, you know, as we live out the principles of a, a church covenant like this and the love, the one another passages that I've read and the other ones, we will become a more faithful church. We will be able to have hard conversations with one another for the glory of God to fight sin, to, to fight the rebellion in our own hearts, to stir each other up, to love and good works. So, what will we do? Whether we vote to have a church covenant or not as a group of God's people, we must commit to love one another in a covenant way like God has taught us. John 13 was not just for the disciples. It was for us. Love one another as I have loved you. By this, the world will know that you are my disciples. Let's pray. Father, we, we ask that you would help us be more like your son, Jesus Christ. We know that in a very real sense, we are counted as righteous as he is. We, we are already counted righteous like we've loved our brothers and sisters in this church perfectly. And yet you've left us here You've left us here to continue that love, to increase in that love, to get better in that love. Now, we need your Holy Spirit to do that. Would you help us? God, these principles in God's word from your covenant promises made to your covenant promises kept, would you help us to be those kinds of people who, 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 who promise to love one another would you empower us to, to live out those commands and to ask for forgiveness for where we fail? God, give us forgiving hearts for when other people fail us. Let us assume the best about others. Let us, let us walk in humility. Let us bear with one another. Let us think the best about others, believe the best about others, and always be ready for reconciliation. God, would you do all of these things for your son's sake? Amen.